0: Hey, it's the podcast, a podcast all about uh, women in podcasting from obviously the women's point of view today. And uh, a last, Jessica Kufferman, my lovely and dear and most beloved BFF in the whole entire world and co-host is not here with me today. I'm very sad, but she is doing all kinds of lovely things over at FinCon. But I have an amazing co-host with me today. It's the amazing and awesome Sky Pillsbury, who is um, actually woken up a little bit early and and, uh, arranged her life because she's on the West Coast a little bit just to be with us here today. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. Anything for you? Elsie Escobar <laughs> <laughs> I'm very right. excited to be here. Oh great. So uh, you guys just just as a quick FYI. So Sky is the editor uh, and I don't even know if I would say like producer of inside podcasting. would that be? Well, it depends on creator? whether you're talking
1: about the podcast or the newsletter Correcto. The new-
0: Yeah. So
1: for the newsletter, I'm just the writer. Okay. Very straightforward and simple. I have an editor and I'm the producer of the podcast.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. So that you're the producer of the podcast because you've got both of them are of the same name. And the yes. podcast is is a baby podcast. It's, it's just a been born. tiny
1: baby. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to water it every day. Give it a lot of nutrition and help it grow. Okay. Well, not worrying about my downloads, just trying to produce great content, right? Yes,
0: right. Because yeah. that's the way to do it, man. Exactly. Oh, my God. But we'll get a little bit more into uh, the specifics of of the the newsletter and all of that kind of stuff, I think, because I, well, one of the things that I love about Inside Podcasting is, is the fact that it's done by you, who happens to be a, a woman, and yes. I haven't really seen too many, you know, still in the space to not very many women voices that are in the punditry space in the line of like people who have opinions and do amazing things that are passing on podcasting information from like a high level, right?
1: Yeah, well, I actually have to say to you, Elsie, that uh, I'm not sure if you even know this, but you did an episode maybe, I don't know, six months ago. And you said that I was not part of that episode, but I was just listening to it. And you said, you mentioned me and you said, you're talking about support that you were getting for kicking she podcast, the event off the ground. And you right, said, I want right. to mention sky first because she's a woman. And that was one of the first times when I felt this real sense of responsibility to, <laughs> to not let this fail and to keep writing. And I just want to thank you for that. So I, I know we, we're going to talk about other things today, and maybe get to this later. But I do want to just make sure that I thank you for that.
0: Oh, thank you. I, I mean, I'm, I'm always keeping an eye out for things like that, and you've been doing a stellar job. And it's Thanks. it's really it's really incredible. So you guys. Well, anything that we speak about on this show, as always, the links will be in the show notes. So, if you happen to, for whatever random crazy reason, not be subscribed to Inside Podcasting, there will be a link in the show notes, and you guys can check out um, Sky's work. It's it's really awesome. Thanks. So, moving right along, let's go ahead and get into some news.
2: The news you can use for the informed podcaster. Costing
0: news. See, even if Jess is not around, you always get a little juice from her, no matter what. So, at least
1: <laughs> I was gonna... just wondering—is that her voice? Okay. Yes, it is. Mystery we... <laughs> solved. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Most of our like little like bumps that bumpers that we have, John has created from like bits of us being silly, or he's said like say this, you know, and then we'll say yeah. it, and then he like puts it together with music, so it's really cool. All right, so we're going to start with, like, OMG, Himalaya, dude. What uh, the heck? Yes, yes. <laughs> what the heck is right? Uh,
1: this has been the talk of the week, Elsie. right.
0: So what's up? So can you feel, because this is, like, a little bit more, I don't know if you know, are you, like, more into the VC space, a little more into the um, startup space? Like, do you know a little more about that? Because I certainly don't, other from the...
1: You know, that is actually the world I came from. So I come from the technology startup world. I've worked at a startup myself, um, and I've worked with many, many startups on their communications and things like that, specifically in the tech world. So this is highly unusual, just to put that into context. I have never heard of a startup. I mean, exaggerating
0: is not even the word. It is... Shall we... Hold on one sec. Shall we just explain a little bit what the news are first. So here's a headline yes. from Axios. And this is where it actually began. So the headline for Axios is podcast startup Himalaya may have never had 100 million in VC funding. <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah so, um, so that's it. So essentially, they never may, may have had this kind of this funding. Axios found out this information. So you can go ahead and take it away from here because that's where that we can go.
1: Sure. Yeah. So it was that. And it was also one other thing, which is Mm -hmm. that they had listed in their announcement the inclusion of a couple of investors, SIG and, oh, gosh, I'm blanking on the name of the other one, but we'll look it up. And those companies, there were two companies and they were actually investors in Zimalaya. This gets confusing, but Zimalaya FM is a parent company which is linked to Himalaya, but they are two different companies. So, two investors were mentioned as contributing to that 100 million. Oh, uh, here it is. It's General Atlantic and SIG. Yeah. Mm And they were actually not investors. And when they've been contacted, they have either said that they are not investors or they have not responded. I will actually say that I received a call and I probably am just going to keep that, the name of this person to myself. But I received a call from someone who works at a Himalaya spinoff and used to work at Himalaya. And he wanted to give me a statement on behalf of the company. Now, in the newsletter, we decided not to use it because he's not an official spokesperson for Himalaya. But his, the way he explained it was that the reason why they listed those two companies in the press release was that they were trying to be more transparent. So, oh, well, we know that these companies invested in our parent company, so since we're getting $100 million from this company you know, we're going to be transparent by listing those. Uh, Transparent to me seems like a very sketchy word to use there. Uh, It feels like they're actually exaggerating what the truth is there to me, uh, which is another reason why I didn't run his statement. And he said that, hey, we didn't, we might not have $100 million in the bank, but he sort of blew it off with the idea that, well, we could get that $100 million, no problem. You know, Zimalea is full of money. And and you know, whenever we need it, we'll take it. We just didn't need the $100 million right away. So anyway, I'm not going to throw this person under the bus uh, by mentioning their name. But these are the kinds of phone calls that journalists get and have to decide whether or not to include.
0: A little window right. into my life. I know. Well, that's... So when you were mentioning that this is highly unusual, what's so highly unusual about about this? You
1: have to prepare to be under scrutiny when you are a startup, and especially if you're going to make an announcement about $100 million. So to me, what's astonishing is that they made the announcement without being completely buttoned up and having an airtight uh, positioning within the market. What's even more amazing, and Elsie, I know you've talked about how journalists need to verify everything and make sure of things before they announce something, before they write about something in an article but what is almost more astonishing is that people just took this at face value the fact mm. that it took this long for someone to to check it out and make sure that what they're saying is completely accurate is more surprising to me in a way than what they've actually done there's wow. probably other companies
0: who are exaggerating things like that i just haven't come into contact with them wow that is kind of yeah wow that's kind of crazy i mean you're yeah it's true i think that part of i guess at this moment you know whenever you see press releases, you you kind of don't at least need like I just see the press release and I don't really question it. (laughs) I mean, obviously, it's also not my job, meaning it's not my job to go down every rabbit hole and then follow up on any new podcast, you know, startups that are coming out that have X amount of funding or whatever. Right. we
1: we are actually at inside podcasting we are it is against policy for us to link to press releases because mm. actually jason calacanis who founded inside.com used to be a journalist himself right. and he knows that sometimes press releases they're obviously going to be written with a certain agenda in mind exactly. whether or not that sure. I mean, hopefully most of the, the time that agenda is fully above board and no one's doing anything weird uh mm-hmm. but regardless you should be looking at third parties for validation for verification for all of that so and and you know even though sometimes obviously if someone's not doing their homework those can turn out to be wrong which is why a lot of times in my in my um in my newsletter, I'll say, you know, according to Fortune, you know, I'm still not saying like, this is fact. I did make actually, today, there was an announcement or yesterday rather about the new CEO for NPR. And there was an article that appeared on NPR. And I did actually reference that because in the article, it said, as part of company policy, this article has not been reviewed by any of the executives or people involved in this announcement. So mm. we are reporting NPR as a reporting organization. We are reporting on our own news. I felt like, okay, I can state that. I was very transparent, to use a word, to say that NPR had written it, but i that's the one exception that I can think of ever actually quoting something straight or referencing a press release. If I ever mention it, it's always here is the copy of the press release should you want to read it, but I'm getting my source material elsewhere.
0: Right. Well, that's really interesting because you're right. There's um, there's also another press release that just come out from a couple of name redacted companies <laughs> that um, I was like, oh, this is really interesting news, you know, and I shared it uh, within some of the insiders inside podcasting. And then the response that I got was, Oh, yeah, this has been going on for a year. It's just that now they've just put out the press release. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. wow. I had, you know, it's like, so essentially this has been happening already. They're Mm -hmm. just now letting the world into this stuff. So it's very intriguing to me to see uh, conversations that go behind companies and how you position yourself to get obviously um, the, I don't know, the, the conversation around whatever, whatever it is that's happening. But this was really surprising for a lot of people. We were yeah. just like all like, uh, yeah. You?
1: I mean, even I having worked in, on the other side of this, you know, in communications for many, many years, it really was a surprise to me as well, just because I feel like the companies that I've worked with have not engaged in this kind of behavior. On the other hand, I think it is also part of what makes me, Suspicious when I get a phone call from someone like I did the other day, right? because I know they're trying to spin this story, you know, and 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 they have they have a point of view. They're trying to get it out there. And I can sort of understand the conversations. I can imagine the conversations they're having internally right now. I mean, this is crisis management. Like, I'm actually very surprised To be honest, I'm very surprised that they called me. I mean, if I were them, what I would be doing was taking full responsibility immediately for this mistake, putting out a public statement, talking to the New York Times, someone very public. I mean, that is how you're transparent, is by talking to someone who is in full public view about, you know, talking to the venture publications, going on a press tour, you know, and talking to people and Convincing, you know, doing your best to convince them that, hey, you know what, we messed up. You know, this got past us. We've doubled down on on proving our credibility to the industry. Here are the one, two, three steps we're, you know, taking. You know, that's the way you deal with crisis management. You don't have a former employee who works as a spinoff, you know, work with your PR person and your CEO, supposedly, to send. Me a statement. That's just not what you do.
0: That doesn't make you
1: look innocent in this scenario. Right. I'm surprised about how they've handled it.
0: That's, it's, yeah. And I haven't heard anything otherwise. I mean, I haven't checked the news as of now. I haven't checked this morning, but
1: nothing that yesterday there was nothing new from them. Right. And I asked for the equity letter. They mentioned an equity letter in that Axios article that supposedly Axios, they told Axios that there was an equity commitment letter. Uh, regarding the $100 million, I asked for that no less than four times, couldn't get it to me. You Mm. know, these are issues that they should have been prepared for.
0: Right. And when you're dealing with that kind of money, and especially when you're building out and hiring people on this side, right? There's Mm -hmm. people who are working for Himalaya. There are a lot of podcasters that have, um, you know, um, had conversations, relationship building, um, possible deals. Absolutely, um, exclusivity—you know, thing, all kinds of different things that are happening with a company, and as many other companies as well. And uh, I would be feeling a little bit like, oh, I, yeah. I don't know what I did, you know? Or, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And you know what? My heart goes out to Zachary Davis.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I love him I so
1: love much. Him, and I met a woman that he recruited. I'm forgetting her name, but I met her at Podcast Movement. They're both lovely, smart passionate, great people. And I can't help but wonder, like, how are they feeling about all this? Of course, I'm not going to corner them about it. But I my heart goes out to the employees there who are also getting ambushed by this
0: news. Oh yeah. And it's I mean, I've been in that position like um with Lipson, uh not not to this stick step by any means. Like I hadn't have to do with money like this. But when we first started to do the transition, which is this is an ongoing conversation and it's very relevant still. When we started to go through the transition of uh, starting to kind of put in the filters for IAB compliance in terms of stats. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the first step that we released, like one of the larger like updates to the algorithm it really was shocking to a lot of people who had X amount of downloads and now had, you know, going down from like 50%. It wasn't everybody. Like a lot of people's download numbers went down. I would say, I don't know, somewhere from 10 to 20%. But there were some outliers. And part of it was due to the way that they were, you know, putting stuff out there, marketing and stuff. And interestingly the ongoing conversation with that is it's sort of like they get obviously they get mad at you because now you're doing the thing but this is actually your audience but then they're saying like well this is what we've been selling to our sponsors and now we don't have that anymore and it's like well you can see it in two different ways you can see it that yes you lost all of this and I'm so sorry and it because you're selling your downloads but the good part portion of it is that you actually have a, a much smaller audience that is in fact engaged so in- engaged so yeah. much that you're getting so much you know what I mean like it, it shouldn't matter we do the same thing with
1: the newsletter you know we have a certain number of subscribers and if they're not active over a certain amount of time we purge them and I remember when it happened the first time and I and I lost like 500 and that felt like a, a big loss I went from I think I was at like 11,000 to Ten five or something. And it was shocking. But, you know, you work your way back up. And you know that the people who are actually listed there, those are real numbers,
0: people who care, people who are opening, or in that case, in your case, listening, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, for sure. And so in that respect, like looking at it from the other side of it, in terms of crisis management, is that people were very angry. And it was like, you know, they were and they come up to you, like you are the person who is the boss of all things. <laughs> why are you doing this? I did that, didn't do it. It wasn't me, you know, and so it's like people look to the humans that they want to have a conversation with. And, and, and you are put in a position of like, I don't even know how to handle this. And so I know for us internally, we did we had a, an entire Slack channel, dedicated just to being able to mm. understand the language that we needed to use, how we can all have the same mm-hmm. message, how we can all make sure that people are being heard, like, what if this comes around so that because it, it really does take a lot, it's you you can't, I think, as a company, be in, in a position of being front facing and not have buy in from the company itself to this is uh, what our statement is, right? You can't have like rogue, pe- not rogue people, but some random person going like, yeah, I, well, I don't you know, and some something that that can be quoted and taken out of context and then you're screwed. So it's rough. Anyway, let's go ahead and drop that there and like move over to this other guy. This So this story uh, from The Verge, from M- Mike Boudet, right? Um, I'm not sure if you guys know who this guy is, but it seems like he's not a very nice dude. At least I don't really follow his stuff. But I think we've reported on this in the past. On she podcast, we might have not because I am not a big fan of r- ratings and reviews, <laughs> and I hate to keep talking about that because they, honestly they don't really matter. But uh, it seems like there were a couple of true crime podcasts that were being bombarded by one star ratings, and to and then it you know it grew so vast, and in the process of this, the person who was the host of that true crime podcast, had an idea that it might have been this guy, Mike Boudet from Sword and Scale, who was doing it, like that he got his audience to do it. And The Verge put out an article that essentially put that idea out there. It wasn't necessarily an article just about that podcast, but the issue of nefarious people coming around and really putting one-star ratings on your stuff and making them go away. And so, all of a sudden, this guy, the Mike Boudet dude, is threatening legal action to the other guy. I mean, Mike Boudet is...
1: Oh, my God. It's always hard to know whether he is doing what he thinks is actually right or whether it's a publicity stunt or something of that nature because he is that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, He is extremely controversial. He has you know, made many, you know, he's, there's harassment claims against him and he has made evidently many misogynistic comments within his podcast and online and, and, the people I talk to either love him because they think he does such a great job with his podcast or they despise him. It's sort of one or the other. And I know from the guy who runs Obscura, which is the podcast who is claiming that Mike Boudet, yeah, bombed them with one stars. I think his name is the uh, Justin Drown. He actually used to run, I think, Obscura's uh-huh. Reddit group. And yeah, and I
0: believe that... That's right. Wait, Justin used to run Obscure, I mean, Sword and Scales. Sword and Scales. Yes,
1: Sword and Scales. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sword and Scales Reddit group. And I believe that there, he had some skirmishes with Mike there, although I don't know the specifics. And I also know that there was an article written about him in his hometown about how he was doing so great. And he thinks his theory is that Mike, who's very competitive, was unhappy about this amazing spread in this newspaper that Justin got and that he's doing this as sort of some kind of retaliation. Uh, there, you know, In Mike's defense, I will say I don't know any hard, fast proof that he has done this, right? I mean, he might not be a great guy, right. but he also might not be the one behind this. I don't know how you prove that or you disprove that. It seems like the kind of thing he would do. But I've spoken, actually, with Justin in the past. I've written about when he was getting bombed with one-star reviews. I wrote about it in my newsletter because I wanted to help let people know and encourage people to write a five-star review if they liked his if they liked his podcast, even though maybe it doesn't matter. But still, it didn't seem fair, no matter who was doing yeah. it. Um, but the fact that Boudet is now threatening legal action, I mean, to me... It's just it feels almost like he's just leveraging the situation. He wants the spotlight What's on that? himself. Yeah, you know, just ignore it. It just, it just it, ignore yeah. it if it's not you.
2: Can we just be done with these reviews, please? Can someone just <laughs> get them off? <laughs> I of know, the sh-
0: make it stop. I know, I know. And and that's I think that that's one of the reasons that I haven't really covered this one too much and I know that, you know, I've spoken here and and I saw John comment on a Uh, post over at NSU Podcast Super Squad as well, where where he did make some really clear points about ratings and reviews. And actually, Rob Walsh, um, my co-host for my other show, has some very clear sort of proof in terms of the data that is shown and the algorithm in terms of Apple Podcasts, that at first, my understanding was that the algorithm was based on actions, and it was and the actions that were geared towards a positive action, meaning if you were getting five star reviews when you were acting, um, you know, having an action inside of Apple podcast, it actually skewed you higher in the search results. But now from what I understand in the conversations that we've had, it's any action moves you up in mm. the algorithm for search. Cause that's what it mm-hmm. is. It's not necessarily rankings. It is search. Right. And so when you start to be found easier, right? it gets more people to download your show and that perpetuates the ability for, the, for you to move up into that sort of daily, almost hourly shifting ranking system that they do have inside of iTunes, which are, you know, the, the top 200, if you will. That's the one that actually changes based on, on actions that are being taken. And the thing is that it's any action. So, a one star review and a five-star not review, sorry, a one-star rating and a one and a five-star rating have the same weight. So even if that's what's happening, the same results are happening for search results and and the juice that comes from it. And I honestly am not sure that I go inside of a podcast, inside of Apple Podcasts, and make my decisions based on a review on whether or not I'm going to listen or a rating if I see a one-star rating. Like, I don't even look. I don't even know where they are. Like, I don't even... I don't pay attention. So, like... (laughs) If I'm finding like I'm finding all kinds of new podcasts. I mean, if somebody says you should listen to the show or this seems interesting, I'm going to go download it. Yeah. I don't care what the ratings are. You know, that's interesting. That makes makes me think Justin should have
1: left all those one star reviews. I don't know. I think I mean, he was he literally got like thousands of one star reviews and Apple was trying to take them down. But if he had had this knowledge from wise Elsie Escobar, he might not have done that. And now he'd be coming up in
0: every search. Exactly. And I think part of it is that part of the conversations have been had with him. Like, I have a feeling that those conversations and that knowledge has gone to him. The problem is that I think our egos can't let go of that. So, even if somebody like me goes up to you and says, Sky, please stop asking for ratings and reviews. Okay. Stop it. Just don't ask. Don't ask people to go leave you a rating and review. But because That's what the majority of our culture in podcasting is doing. It's really hard to let it go because everybody else is doing it. And then you feel like, Oh my God, I'm missing out. What am I doing wrong? Why am I not getting X, Y, and Z? And so what I've been doing is I've been switching it around off a little bit and really capturing social media love, because I think that has a lot more power and it's seen and it's easier for us to share in a lot of more different places. And the other thing that I love, and for one of one, possibly the only thing that I love about Facebook, because I cannot stand that platform, is that in the in Facebook pages, you can leave ratings and reviews there and people can actually write you more beautiful things and you can respond to them and they're actual people and they're part of your community. And that's to me, that has a lot more like it can be seen by far by more people than Apple podcasts, which is a
1: smaller people aren't looking at that. I agree. But that's interesting about Facebook. I didn't know that. I'll have to check that out.
0: Yeah, you should go over to the um, She Podcast Facebook page and just see like that, even though there's a lot of people who um, sometimes they'll mention the show, but most of the time they're mentioning the community. I don't really care too much about that because it feels like it's all kind of one and eventually it doesn't matter to me like for you like I would say if somebody's giving inside podcasting the newsletter a really great review or like is loving it like I think that reflects on the inside podcasting podcast as well like both of them are in in a way married in together in some way so like the brand itself is going to come up and it doesn't I don't I don't think it necessarily needs it And there's also places like, you know, Chartable and Listen Notes and what's the other place? Podchaser. Podchaser's doing some incredible things online for reviews and so good. So anyway, and speaking of sharing stuff, so now you can share Pandora Music and podcasts on Instagram if you want. How's about that? I just read this news (laughs) yesterday or earlier this week, I guess. And I'll be curious to
1: see if people actually are doing it. I, I don't, I'm not on Instagram that much. I do have an account.
0: Maybe I should go and look. Do you? Have you been seeing stuff mm-hmm. come across? I think that in Spotify, I think it's a game changer for Spotify. And I think the issue, the reason that why this is really powerful is because. The biggest problem with Instagram in terms of listening is that you don't you can't immediately do it. Like you can have a link to your Apple podcast page in your description. And it's annoying because that's one link. And I don't listen in Apple podcast. So I hate that. But for the Spotify, because Spotify did this. I feel it's really great because from this, you have to do it yourself. So this there's no um, automation for this stuff. Like once your show comes out and you're in Spotify and your latest episode is on Spotify, you share it to Instagram stories. And then it goes into the Instagram story. It automatically has your little artwork for your show. And then right at the top left, it has a listen to Spotify thing. And then when you tap on that, it imme- if mm-hmm. you have Spotify in your phone, on your phone, it immediately opens up and you can immediately listen to the show. So it's like literally one tap, open an app, and there it is. And boom, awesome. In Instagram, this is a game changer. I have not seen it done for Pandora. And I don't think that it's something everyone is going to get a lot of juice from. Remembering first, Pandora is US only. And the other thing is that it is a very interesting... Demographic slash psychographic Pandora from Spotify. Spotify is a little more world expansive, so a lot of non US centric shows do very well with with Spotify, and then they are also using um, Instagram. So it would be it's a great tool for them. Perfect, yeah. Mind you, the Pandora, I'm not sure. Although, um, the, from Rob, Rob has told me the demographic in Pandora and the, the shows that are doing the best there are like Christian shows.
1: Really? That's interesting. I did not know that. I could see how for Pandora this makes sense because they're trying to grow their unpaid listenership, apparently. Um, so that makes total sense to me why they're doing it. I just, I feel like Spotify has been... So, as you've already pointed out, so far ahead of this game for, I mean, people have been posting about what they're listening to on Spotify, although maybe not listenable immediately on, on Facebook for years. I mean, this kind of thing has been happening. So, so they're a little late to the party, it seems like right. to me. Um, but I, you know, so it'll be interesting to see, like, do people make use of this? I mean, on the pot ha- have you submitted your podcast to Pandora, by the way? Yeah. It's through this. There. I have too, but I haven't seen anything. And I've been seeing a lot of complaints from people that they're taking forever to approve people's podcasts. Yes, they are. So that they can get shared on <laughs> that Instagram. Is true. Yeah.
0: That is true. It takes a little bit longer in terms. Of, I think that they're streamlining their offerings. And the other thing that people get really confused at is that people tend to go into the Pandora desktop app to look for their show. And as of now, at least when we're recording here at the beginning of September, Pandora is not supporting podcasts on the desktop. So you can only find them on the mobile. So if you're looking there, and then so people go like, wait, I thought I was in Pandora, but I can't find me. Well, you got to look in your phone. You got to look in the Pandora app to find your show. And it's there. They haven't been totally clear about that, have they? No. Yes, you're right. They have not been totally clear. But I did see that um, I listened to the new, media, the new Media Live show over at uh, Podcast Movement, where the The guy from Pandora was on there and he cleared that up a lot. And especially the fact that um, there's a that it's not world like they're not going to be supporting um, anything outside of the U.S. as international stuff as of now, as of now. But so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that kind of stuff. Um, The other thing. Oh, but, but here's the last thing I wanted to mention here. In this article from Engadget that I got this form, this is... Oh, they have to watch a short ad? Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. So it says this, quote, if a friend taps the play on Pandora button on your Instagram story, they'll get direct access to the content you shared, as well as Pandora's entire music and podcast library. In return, they'll have to watch a short ad, end quote. So that's interesting. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if that would be a deterrent to me.
1: Yeah, it's hard for me to know as well. I mean, I I feel like uh, we've gotten so used to with Spotify with not having to endure that. So it it might be a that might be a deterrent. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean,
0: if it's going to be free, they're going to throw you an ad. A little little something. So we'll, we'll see how that happens. And kind of moving a little something, something. into a little bit of um, quickie news about Patreon. So I just got this email and I'm only sharing it here because a lot of podcasters here have their own Patreon accounts. And maybe there's some people here who are outside of the U.S. But it seems like they're on. And, and this is, quote, directly from um, the email that was sent from Patreon uh, that says this, quote, on September 14, 2019, European Union patrons may see an additional authentication flow when pledging. This will be from their bank and will appear when adding a credit or debit card or pledging to a creator. This is to reduce fraud for cardholders and may be required by Patreon's banks to comply with the EU's Payments Services Directive 2. This additional authentication flow will be a pop-up that presents the patron's bank Authent- authentication phase, the pop-up may request a username and password, a code sent to an email, blah, 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 blah. So essentially, uh, in quote, the, not, blah, 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 blah was not part of that. Um, <laughs> but it's just like there's going to be a little extra stuff happening for uh, all the EU, EU folk that are participating in Patreon and Patreon stuff. And I think that maybe even existing patrons might, you know, some stuff will, will have to come up here. So you might see a pop-up from the bank to request extra ver- verification. So you, what I see this from the perspective of a pledger is that you're it's going to be a little bit of annoy of an annoyance and obviously if you really love the show, you're going to continue on. The bad aspect of this is that there's a lot of us who are patrons for things that we forgot that we're patrons for. And so it just like it just keeps paying them and we forgot and then this might be a reminder of like, "Oh, oops, I forgot to cancel that." <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm not going to be a patron anymore, you know, and then just don't follow up. So that would suck. Um, but creators, it seems like you don't have to do anything. It's all on the um, Patreon is taking care of all of that stuff. It'll be like business as usual. So I just wanted you guys to know that in case any of the EU people have um, stuff. Yeah. Good heads up. Good heads up. up. So, um, so Sky, you have a podcast and I know – there has been some conversations in your show that it's like you know it's not that like you need like a podcaster what is it relief group or support group or something for oh support yeah, like, group something like yes oh my god this is like
1: <laughs> which is basically what she podcast right. <laughs> is
0: uh, <laughs> that's right you yeah. know so I
1: I'm lucky enough to actually have that group yeah that so the episode you're referring to is my interview with Jesse uh-huh. Hempel I mean. I hope people got a lot out of that for me. So let me explain to the listeners that I have a podcast and it's, it's different than my newsletter. It's under the same brand, but I interview podcast hosts about their craft. And for me, especially that episode was truly therapeutic because I'm brand new to podcasting. And so it really became like this working session. Like, what did you do about this? How did you decide on episode length? What did you, you know, how much should the host be involved, be, you know, how much of your personality as a host should you let the the listeners hear and engage with? You know, how do you walk that line between not being intrusive if you're doing an interview style podcast? and letting your personality shine. Those kinds of issues. And I was really, you can hear in that episode, I was really working out in real time, some of the answers to those questions. So that's actually, you know, one of my very favorite episodes, just because it was so meaningful to me at that exact moment. And uh, hopefully, people who listen, will feel the same way. Yeah,
0: because it's like this stuff is not as easy as you think. You know, there's a lot of times that there's the idea that comes to it. Then there's the constructing what it would look like. What would this show be? You know, you you make all those choices, and and then there's the the day to day sort of engagement. I actually akin podcasting a little bit more to the launch, the beginning phases. It's is kind of like getting ready for your wedding. Like you're gonna have your wedding, and you have to plan this wedding, right? You gotta plan all the things, and da, da da da. And then you've got the marriage to deal with afterwards. You. It's the everyday <laughs> stuff, you know what I mean? Like, that was really fun. I had a really nice dress on and all the things. But then now it's like the reality of it all starts to hit you. And there's so many different times. I think the hardest thing for me when I, you know, hear new podcasters coming in and like you with the support group and all this stuff. And it's sort of like, I don't think people understand in their bodies, like in their bodies, like you have to do this again. Like it's never not Happening. And for even for she podcasts, it's like after we finish recording today, then I have like a whole weekend and John and you know, and Jess, because of all of our little things are spread out, like all of our duties, where that just is an ongoing process. And then I start to think about, okay, what are we doing next week? It's never not happening. How are we going to schedule it? When are we going to get behind the microphone? What are we going to talk about? It's never not happening. We don't have the luxury, at least in this show, we don't have the luxury of batch producing. A lot of people love to do that. And I think that that's a really strong choice depending upon the show that you have and the kind of content that you're putting out there. But if it's like kind of like this, then this is my favorite show is the sort of like of the moment talking about things that are happening right now. Like that, that makes me happy. And it makes me want to talk about that stuff. But you can't pre plan that stuff. So
1: yeah, I we decided to do just six episodes of this to start because I didn't want to lock myself into something where I felt like I couldn't breathe or I wanted to have some space after this initial batch, if you will, to do some listening for one thing. I mean, my listening time has really decreased just because I'm so busy with production of the podcast and also the newsletter, but also just to look back and say, because we are a baby podcast, are there things we'd want to change? And I feel like when I'm in the moment, it's hard to see it clearly. And also, did it go well? Are people enjoying it? Am I getting good feedback? And luckily that is happening, so I'm happy about that. But I I completely understand it, what you're saying about this feeling of sort of this constant cycle. I also would say that one thing I think I've learned from going through this process, which you, I think that comparing it to planning a wedding is a great metaphor, is that you don't know what it's going to be like unless you take the steps to start. exactly, Like, yep. you can theoretically understand. And I write about podcasts for a living, but that didn't help me at all. <laughs> I mean, I, it didn't. <laughs> Great. It's like, it, that is so like pie in the sky. Like, when you're actually figuring out, like, how am I going to record this so that the sound works? Like you can talk and think and read and watch YouTube videos and nothing is the same as actually being like, okay, we're doing this today. Yeah. Let's get the equipment and figure it out and plug it in and get you on the other line. Like nothing figures it out except for figuring Wait. it out. Yep. I feel like I'm no, yelling, exactly. <laughs> <but> i know yelling, <feel, laughs> but I feel, I feel, I uh, feel there's clearly
2: emotion there for
0: me. Yep. Well, one of the things that, you know, when people uh, and I and it's really hard for me because I see a lot of the century podcast where people are like, what should we do for our launch strategy? You know, like what should we do for the blah, blah? Should we start with, you know, three or five or 10 episodes and all this stuff? And I can give you guidelines to do it in the online marketing way to do it, to really optimize click throughs and marketing sides of things. But the reality of growing an audience does not equate to a great launch. If you have a great launch, that does not in any way mean that you're going to have a successful podcast and a growth right. trajectory in the in long, the long run. run. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean that. Yeah. And another thing that I'm testing out, well, I'm doing all kinds of things because I do have a third podcast now that I'm producing It's and it's a Spanish speaking show about podcasting.
1: And yes. I, I mentioned it in my no, newsletter today, by the way. Yeah. Oh, good. For awesome. the, yes. For the second yay, time. Yay. For the second
0: yeah. time, yay. So so this is new to me. This is a whole new audience. So it's not the people that I already have built. So I have a large platform, but these people aren't going to be listening. I mean, some might, but not all of it. And so I'm starting anew and I didn't and I essentially am doing it as I go. And it's very interesting for me to see that the only way that I can iterate and make adjustments to the show is for me to do the show just like what you're talking about to really figure out like what's even with two episodes like I did one episode and I felt that and I'm like okay that was interesting then I did the second episode and that was a whole other thing because I got a lot of audio feedback and what that was like to do that show wow, okay, there's that. So I'm feeling and going like, okay, wh- how am I going to get my, it feels like I need to get my legs beneath this one. You talked about how hard it was to do your intro, right? That you were like, oh my God, oh my God, doing my intro is like the worst thing ever, right? <laughs> it's like, well, it,
1: I'm doing a new intro and outro for every episode because I'm I'm introducing the guest. I I didn't want to have that in my interview because it sounds so formal. It's like, here I am with, you know, Martine Bowers from the Washington Post. Yeah, I hate that, too. So I wanted to do it separately and more casually in an intro. And (laughs) I mean, this is so basic, but like it didn't occur to me the first handful of times I was recording these that I could just mess up and then start again on the same recording. (laughs) Like, <laughs> I know. I mean, that is not like a hashtag new kid on the block thing that I did not figure out. Like, you know, person who's going to edit this, I'm very lucky to have someone yeah. help me with that, can just go back to the next sentence, yeah. you know? Like, it, so it's these basic things that I am just learning slowly. I'm still, even with that, though, I'm still, you, know, you want to get yeah. it right. You don't want to screw up, you know? Yeah, no,
0: and it's true. Like, it took me a while to figure that out, too, because I came from the stage. So when you're on stage you know, you don't have bloopers, you don't have the option of messing your words up, you don't have the option of not nailing your lines, you don't have that option, you have to do it, right? Right. Um, When you're on camera, it's uh, and I've done a little bit of that too. There is a little bit more um, leeway on that where things can be edited together, or there's a shot and you got to do that shot or whatever. But with audio stuff, I just thought I thought that I had to do exactly what you're saying, like I had to be perfect. And then it took me a while to understand, even in the process of it, where I could start talking. And then John, obviously, he edits the, the stuff. And then when I do an intro, like I sent him the intro for the last episode and I was like, there's some editing in there. But what you end up doing is like you do the thing and then you you pause, you give a break and you go like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to start over. And even with the speed, the stuff that we do with Rob, he will just say, future LC, this is an edit point. Even though I'm right there because he'll record it, then I can take it and then he'll say, take it from this sentence and then I just do it and then I edit it together and it sounds like awesome. It sounds smart and right on point. So (laughs)
2: while I'm recording you, as you guys make mistakes, I have a marker here and Ah. I hit N and I know that there's an edit point right there. So one of the things that I find new podcasters, what they do is they say, I'm going to start this podcast and I'm going to do 10 interviews. They don't even know how to interview. They don't really have good technique for audio yet. And they go out and they interview 10 yeah. people, but the audio is horrible. If you would have just done one or two, listened to it, learned from it, <laughs> the three and four would be better. But now there's 10, so we have to listen to 10 bad yeah. ones until we can make 11, 12, and 13 better.
1: Do you have to give that feedback to people sometimes, John?
2: Yes, they don't like it.
1: Ah, oh, I do not envy you. What do you say?
2: Well, Elsie knows I'm brutally honest, and I don't mean to hurt their feelings, but I, I have to really stress that let's not do this, and, you know, let's do things differently. Like, yeah, I, like right now, you're holding your microphone, Sky, and I'm like, that has to stop. We have to get you a microphone stand so you're not popping. That's okay. Like, it's you're, all
0: right. You know well
2: pop Yes, but that's okay. All right, I mean, thank you. I was going to talk to you. This is a teaching moment. So one of the things that we would have to do is teach you mic technique now. And Elsie knows this. I, I harp on Jess about her mic technique all the time to try to yeah. get her to, to pay attention so that it'll sound better. Because there's only so much an editor can do. There is only so much an editor can do. Now with the popping peas. That that we're getting from you right now. I can get that out of there.
1: Should I be using the
2: screen that
1: I have?
2: Well, honestly, Sky. I mean, to be quite honest with you, you should have a mic stand.
1: But if this is better, I can do this too.
2: Yeah, but you're so close to it, you're going to blow right through it. So, so basically what happens is you want to take and have the microphone on a 45-degree angle. So when, you, when you're when you talking, anything that goes out, is going to go past the microphone.
1: Yeah, and I'm recording my interviews in a studio. Right, yes. Yeah. So it's a whole different ball game, Yeah. So doing yeah, this see, kind of an interview is really, this is very helpful to me right. to hear your feedback.
2: Right. So you're going to have this really amazing studio interview, and then you're going to be holding a microphone doing the intro and outro. And it's the, the, the quality, and I haven't listened to it yet, but we'll probably drop off.
1: Well, yeah. Go listen to some of my episodes, John.
2: Well, I certainly will now <laughs> that I know you have one.
0: Yeah, it's all these all little things. And that's why I think, you know, whenever if you do have a launch, and then you have a, you know, proper uh, setup team, understanding of, you know, you have an editor understanding of audio, like all of those things going on, then go for it, man, do do your thing. Like there's lots of people who are like the core pastoral corporations that get the money and the funding and all that stuff. They're pros. They totally know how to do this. So obviously, I'm going to advise a launch that's different, right? Then yeah. somebody who is, I just started a podcast. This is my thing. I'm just starting anew. Then I would do totally what John was talking about. You have to get your legs wet. Sometimes you'll do maybe three episodes that never are aired. Those are just like, to do them so that you get it so that you get the sound you get the plugs in you know because even with you like what do you do when you have an issue and you can't get your mic on how do you fix that in the in the process what if somebody's got a time constraint like there's so many different things that you got to think about so anyway um i'm gonna uh, switch us off because we have other little things to talk about here and we're we're getting um short on time here but let's move to some tool tips elsie's tool tips (laughs) so... So I have a little device here. I don't. I don't think you can see it here. I don't want to move my stuff, but I have the Rodecaster Pro like right next to me, which is this device that we're talking about right now. And if you, yeah, yeah, John is not using it, but he does have it now. Should why? And if you can get Jason to get this for you, Sky. Oh my God, it would be amazing. He would just have him like invest in it and say like, dude, this is like seven hundred dollars. It's so worth it. I could do so many things with this. Good. I have talking points for my next meeting. Yes, absolutely. Like this machine, if you can, it's. It actually, you can travel with it, even though you still have to put it like in a backpack. I mean, it's not like a small machine. But if you ever need to interview like up to four people, like in one place, you want to have sounds like John is putting in for us right now. Like I could do that myself now. I can actually add up to 64 separate tracks of music and sounds inside of the Roadcaster Pro. Um, You can also put in your uh, phone, which is a, a thing that solves the problem of People who don't know how to use Skype, people who don't want to know how to use Zoom, people, star, movie stars that you want to have on your show that they're, you know, people are going to call your phone. You can actually have them just call your phone and you can have it in your thing. Like you could do this. You could sound amazing. It'll just come straight in there. You can plug it into the computer. I have it plugged into the computer right now and I can record all of these things into separate tracks.
1: Can I ask you a question? When someone calls you on your phone, like when the movie star calls you on the phone, does it then sound like,
0: what's the sound quality of that when it's being rooted it's through? Like it a it phone. does sound yeah, like It a does phone. sound like a phone. Okay, okay. It wouldn't okay. sound like a phone if they were calling via Skype and they had a microphone. So if you are using Skype on your phone, and the person is on mic, like we are right now, they would sound like they're on a mic, like they would sound like pretty good, right? right? right, Or if they are on Zoom, and you want to not use the Zoom stuff, but you want to use this. Because even with the Bluetooth and the computer, you have settings on the Rodecaster Pro that can do post- or i guess not post production but compression on each track even while you're recording so you can f- fix the track and make it sound better while you're recording so that it actually sounds the way that you want it to sound and then you don't have to deal with those external things right you can always record that stuff there so it's really lovely that it's got all these set everything is all all set up in this machine. And they just had a firmware uh, update that is huge. They had 25 new updates to it. And so what's really great is that you have the machine, but then when they do these firmware updates, you get like all of, it's like, it's Christmas. Because at first, when when we first got the RODECaster Pro, it only had eight sound beds or like sound ability to have eight sounds pre-installed into the device. But because people wanted more, because eight, I mean, come on. Sometimes people want more. Now they have up to 64 and we didn't have to buy a new machine. We just had to update the need to the firm to the new firmware. The other thing that it did is that now you can transfer and, and this was kind of lame, but before you had to take the SD card out of the device and put it into the computer to download the audio files into the computer if you were not recording into it. But now you can just do it. Through the computer which is like super easy
2: yeah it'll be a usb interface so i could record right into adobe audition or right into audacity mm-hmm. or right into um uh, what is it reaper and i can record each separate track that comes off of the uh roadcaster pro which is really uh, the only reason i'm not using this right now is because i'm testing it and you know me i won't until i'm 100 percent Right, ready to use something, I won't try it because I don't want to have problems. <laughs> so that's the only reason. But it, it is amazing.
0: Yep. And uh, yeah. And these guys have been so supportive of the pod, of podcasters. And um, so I would say, like right now, this possibly solves, I mean, if you do have the funds, if you have the funds and you are going into podcasting and you really want to do it right and you don't want to mess around with too many different things, I think if you have, you know, if you have a $1,000, you can have a setup that you will not have to invest into from then on like that's it because this thing is i think 599 i think Five ninety nine for it, and um, you would have to buy a couple mics to, you know, or one mic to stick into it, depending upon whatever show you have. But if you're doing a solo show and you want music in the show and you want to have like, you know, bumpers in it or whatever, and you're getting really good at it, you can literally put your thing, your microphone in front of you, have your sound bed, have your script, and then you run the board, and then you'll have literally live to tape right in front of you with you just putting the sounds and no, no editing, like it'll just already be in there, and then it'll you'll just get the full thing afterwards, which is amazing. Yeah. I need that setup. It's really cool. I'm telling you, <laughs> I don't even know if Jason has seen this, but definitely it it is possibly one of the best machines that are out there for the price and the ease of use. Like even if you would get it, Sky, you would figure it out. I guarantee you you would figure out how to use it because it's that easy. It's got big, large buttons. Those are important. <laughs> it's Those got are important. colors. It sounds like a toy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's very. It's got a really good user interface. It's a touch screen at the top, mm-hmm. and it also has a meter. So when you're recording, you can look over and see if your mic's too hot. Or I tell you, I've been playing with this thing, and I really, really like it. And what did I spend? Probably almost fifteen hundred hours for the setup that I have, and this would definitely take care of it. It's the same six hundred hours.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. Yes, because it does all the it. It does all the things, and I think one of the biggest selling points for me was the connection to the phone. Because at, when you know, when worse comes to worse, um, if, if they cannot if somebody cannot con- contact you and they're and they're like, I'm having a problem with Skype, I don't know how to do yeah. it. Just have them call your phone and you're done. And you can just record it. And even though their sound is going to be phone quality, phone quality is better than shitty Skype quality. Right, John?
2: Absolutely, I agree with that one hundred percent. Yeah,
0: the sound of a phone is really steady. They they don't necessarily drop out. It's hard to hear at times, but you can boost it. You can do some compression on it or not compression it on it. Like you know, you can make it sound slightly better than uh, Skype that keeps on glitching and then going away, and it's just awful. So I would rather do it that way. But yay, everybody get a Rodecaster Pro. Thank you to the Rode um, team for being so gracious with us, with Jess. Jess has the pod mic and I got the Rodecaster Pro um, for me to test and I am in love with it. It's my boyfriend. <laughs>
1: mm. I need to make Jason listen to this episode. I know. It's, it's my boyfriend. It's my boyfriend.
0: <laughs> um, so moving. We're actually going to go into She Podcast Live update now, John. And now an update on She Podcast Live. All right. So you guys, we have four weeks left. Woo-hoo! Oh, my God. Four weeks. Oh, my God. So <laughs> How good. are you feeling, Elsie? How are you feeling? Stare. I'm sweating, dude. I'm sweating. And I'm not doing anything because I'm not the boss of this thing. Jess is the boss. And I'm just like, oh, my God.
2: She's higher talent.
0: She's <laughs> I know I'm higher talent. That's, that's like right. my job. Um, And and on purpose, and definitely. And so she's doing all the work. Hats off to her. She's been working her tush off to be able to get, you know, as much done for She Podcast as possible. We are now I think at about 500 tickets sold which is wow. amazing. Congratulations. So that's insane. Um, but since we have you here, Skye, what's up with your session? So you're going to be speaking and now people got a little bit of a gist of like what you're about, like, you know, wh- where you come from kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So what what's, what's the scoop? Like, what are you going to be talking about?
1: Yeah, so I'll be on stage with Ariel Nissenblatt. Am I uh-huh. saying that right? Nissenblatt. Right. She runs the Earbuds Podcast Collective. Yes. And it, it'll be I think technically she's interviewing me but I think it I imagine it being a real conversation about reporting on the industry. Right. So talking about some of the things you and I have spoken about today like what it's like to be one of the few women uh who are reporting on this industry. So there's something there about taking steps towards being more intentional in how this industry gets covered and what we can all as a community be doing to support each other, to include more diverse voices and to help our fellow sisters and female identifying and people of color and Latino and Chinese and everyone rise up a little bit in terms of the, you know, the conversation in terms of what's what's getting reported on. Because one of the things that I used to do for inside podcasting, and I still do it to a large degree, is I am reporting on the news, right? So there's a lot of what you see in my newsletter that are stories that I have seen out in the press that I am reporting on. Well, if people of color and people who come from different walks of life are not being covered in the press, well, then they're getting less coverage in my newsletter. Right. So I've started to to be more creative in how I and more intentional, as I said before, about how I figure out creative ways to cover people because they are newsworthy even if they don't have the story in the New York Times. So today, for example, I found a, I discovered yesterday, just surfing around Twitter, um, a podcast. Oh, I really wish I could remember the name of it. It is, oh, it's called You Had Me at Black. And it's stories from black millennials about their experience. Well, they're not being written about in anything mainstream, but I discovered that they're doing this special in honor of Pride season, where they're having people call and share people of color and share their experiences being a, you know, a queer person of color or a trans person of color. Um, And they're putting together sort of a special session about that. Well, I'm like, well, you know what? That is newsworthy. That is worth writing about. And so that allowed me to, I made it my number one story, but All of us who are covering the industry and all of us who are talking about the industry and caring about the industry need to be being intentional in this same kind of way. So I'll be talking about that. And then just from a basic level, I hope that people come to learn how to get coverage, how to get coverage in my newsletter. But given that I have a communications background, I can talk about how to get coverage more generally as well.
0: That's going to be awesome. That's And that's just one session. I mean, when I was looking at the stuff that Jess has been sending in the newsletters, if you guys don't have the newsletter, I don't know. You guys are missing so much. She does such great writing on that. It's incredible. Just the last one was all about community. I mean, the different things that you can learn over at She Podcast Live is going to be off the hook. And it feels to me that it is going to be one of those things where you're going to feel so excited to be able to go inside of a conference and feel like you can get the kind of information that you wouldn't otherwise get. And that's what I feel the most excited about, because oftentimes with a lot of conferences, you do have to go for the bigger names. You have to go for the type of sessions that sell more, like more money-oriented or more like how to get, you know, how to make zero to a million, you know, that kind of, those kind of topics. And it feels that with She Podcast has given us the opportunity to expand it to more nuanced conversations, more specific types of sessions that may or may not think that it's something you want, but it sounds so intriguing. You're going to go and you're going to learn so much. And also the types of women that we have that are in speaking is just the diversity, not just in terms of demographics, but actually just the type of experience they've had, you know, um, th- that we do have people who have been doing it for a long time. And they're like, you know, journalists, broadcasters that have all the bona fides and all the things. And then we have the people who have literally started from scratch and created these incredible communities, or are, have just one specific niche that is really uh, transformative and impactful. Speaking of the same thing that you're talking about, that a lot of these ladies don't really get any press, you know, and they should, they should get something to see the work that they've been putting out there. So, thank you so much. And I have one last thing for those of you guys that are interested in, in joining the e-league with me. It's my mentorship uh, group. I do that twice a year. I am finishing it up in October. So, we start October 21st. I think it's a week of October 21st. We go for five weeks. And it is sort of like going to be like the end of the year, looking back at your year, preparing for 2020. And I tend to work with uh, these women very, very, very closely. It is a very intimate group. Um, And if you guys are interested in anything of that, it is not a lot of people. I, I really cap it off at 20. So if you guys are interested, please apply. It's an application process. You should find the link in the show notes and go check it out. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Skye. Where do you want people to like connect with you? So people can
1: connect with me on Twitter. That is probably the easiest place. I'm just at Sky Pillsbury. My DMs are always open. You can also send me an email to sky at inside.com. I read all of them, although uh, I'm getting a lot of email these days. So be aware, I might not get back to you right away. You can find my podcast, Inside Podcast, wherever you find podcasts. You can subscribe to the newsletter at inside.com forward slash podcasting. I'm ready with open arms to talk with anybody about anything podcasting related.
0: And I can't wait to do that at She Podcasts. Yay, that's
1: going to be Super so excited fun. about that. I
0: know. Yay. So again, guys, links in the show notes and please connect with She Podcast as well in all the different places at She Podcast. Now, if you guys want to join our She Podcast super squad, ShePodcast.com slash Patreon. Yay. Is that right? No. Patreon.com slash She Podcast. Okay. Well, I'll see you guys uh, in the next, next
2: week with Jess, hopefully, maybe, mm-hmm. kind of. Love you. Mean it. Bye. <laughs>